I can do things that wet without asking anybody, even my Coney wife. Coney Island, world's biggest barrel of fun. Anywhere else your imagination takes you. Okay, we've done that now, Mark. You get the whole show now, you hurry, hurry, hurry. Anything's possible at Disneyland. Welcome aboard the Themed Attraction Podcast, where we take you for a ride through the mad, 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 mad world of theme park design, that is. You've just stepped aboard a voyage of discovery and discussion with theme park industry masters of the craft. I'm your skipper, Freddie Martin, and sharing the deck with me as always is theme park designer, master planner, and chief creative officer of Storyland Studios, Mel McGowan. Where are we headed today, Mel? Freddie, I hope you've got enough diesel in the tank because we're heading to China. Uh, almost. <laughs> we're <laughs> heading to a, a little piece of China here in Burbank, California to hang out with Senior Project Director for Mizziker Entertainment, Sean Chung. He's part of a new generation of young creatives making waves in themed entertainment these days through the discipline of entertainment. Sean's got an amazing story that sort of runs parallel to the story of modern China's own transformation into the world's fastest growing theme park and tourist market. I agree. Sean's a really talented guy. He's not afraid to take on huge designs like a half mile long nighttime parade that really is a genetic ancestor to the Main Street Electrical Parade, which we'll get to. And uh, he's even been honored with the TEA Thea for it as well. So we're excited to have him on the show. All right, folks, keep your hands, arms, feet and legs inside the boat because this episode is about to leave the dock. Hit it, Sam. So let's talk about China. Uh, there's an incredible amount of theme park business happening in China right now. Um, we're not just talking about new parks and resorts, but there's like whole theme park franchises that are being birthed and uh, putting out multiple uh, theme parks as we speak. Um, you've even, I know you're under NDAs, et cetera, but you've had a chance to do some design work uh, for uh, parks that are there. Um Talk about uh, how China is just becoming that place for the fastest growing um, theme park uh, markets in the world. Well, you know, all I can say is you got to just go and check it out. I mean, because I've been over to China a few times, again, uh, adopted a couple of kids uh, and been over there for project work until you get over there and see the scope and scale of urbanization, of yeah. development. Uh, you know, the, the diverse range in quality <laughs> and quantity of these, uh, right. attractions, uh, it is just mind altering. Um, and again, just from a simple frame of reference, I mean, in the U S, um, there hasn't been a new park, a new theme park, at least to open in the last 10 years. I yeah. think the last one yeah. that opened, uh, closed a year later, that was, I think, Hard Rock Park in 2008. Yeah. And, you know, Universal announcing a, a new park is kind of a big deal, you yeah. know, with uh, this uh, epic universe, because there just aren't a lot of those that happen uh, in the U.S. Uh, that often. Uh, but again, when you go to different parts of the world, uh, Middle East, um, you know, again, it took Disney, uh, I think, 18 years to go from one park to uh, three parks. Yeah, right. Uh, whereas uh, Dubai Parks and Resorts uh, actually 
tried and succeeded in at least <laughs> opening <laughs> three parks within a year yeah, uh, of opening, which is insane. <laughs> I don't know. Time will prove it. We know it a was, lot of uh, the same people who yeah, have exactly. uh, so incurred I'm not going to comment damage. further on <laughs> that. But uh, again, the scope and scale of the projects we're working on in China, where you have things like the world's largest developer, um, doing Magic Kingdom scale parks and designing them intentionally to yeah. be rubber stamped and cloned uh, throughout the country um, in, you know, relatively simultaneously. I mean, it is mind blowing. Yeah. That's uh, tremendous. Well, our, our guest today uh, is Sean Chung. And um, the reason uh, we're talking about China is because uh, the, um, the, company he works for, Miziker Entertainment, is doing a lot of work uh, around the world, a variety of different places. But uh, specifically, as we get into the interview, you're going to learn a little bit about how Sean's story just sort of parallels China. But a little bit about Miziker Entertainment so you can understand where he's coming from. Um, they're, a, they're sort of a live entertainment um, production company, um, uh, live and um, screen-based entertainment, um, but they've got their roots in um, in parades. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit, but uh, um, here's where their roots are. I mean, these are like uh, <laughs> uh, blue blood parades. Uh, Ron Miziker, who founded the organization, um, was uh, part of the development team for the Main Street Electrical Parade um, back in the early 70s and um, have expanded their entertainment around the world, especially in Asia. Um, and so uh, live entertainment, the entertainment factor within a theme park is super important. So talk to me, Mel, what is the role of entertainment inside theme parks? I'm going to laugh because my first response was, it was to, to mess up all of the uh, wonderfully engineered uh, people's spaces in terms of traffic flow and industrial engineering. And uh, now, all kidding aside, I, I mean, entertainment, especially live entertainment. I mean, that's to me the software um, that drives the, the hardware, um, you know, especially, again, going beyond uh, that proscenium stage and, mm -hmm. and getting the story out uh, on the, the streets is such a powerful thing. Um, again, when, when you're the designer of the, the permanent attractions, if you will, the lands, the buildings, um, you know, and especially when you're walking through the parks, you, you kind of at one level um, want to see that static, you know, stable condition of the way the, the, the land or the, the immersive environment was designed to be. Um, so sometimes there's a conflict between the creative directors of the, the environment uh, versus the creative directors of the, the entertainment things. But what I've learned, uh, again, an eye opener for me was shortly after joining Disney when Fantasmic opened up as right. a last minute replacement for uh, the Muppets coming to California that, <laughs> that uh, didn't happen. Um, for I think it was a $17 million investment. I mean, for something that was, you know, 15, 20% what a major capital e-ticket um, investment would have been. But to have the the return on investment, the, the population increase, the attendance hit that that drove was such an eye-opener for um, Disney executives, for Imagineering executive. It, it certainly rose the, the, the kind of... Uh, leadership capital and political yeah, capital right. of uh, entertainment executives to to realize uh, the demand that that people have uh, for live you know I mean you just can't replace that live human factor yeah um, and so again the the roots are so fascinating going back to you know uh, just 
ancient old celebrations, whether they're Roman <laughs> triumphant arrivals, <laughs> whether it's uh, things like Carnival, uh, but that that idea of uh, cultural gathering celebrations in the streets um, is such a powerful thing. And, and again, in our industry, it's so unique to be able to to not just have that happen once a year or once every few years, but to literally in some places have that happen every day for yeah. you know hundreds or thousands of people to come together and, and share in these collective stories that have such emotional resonance. It's, it's really a, a powerful thing to get to witness and observe. Yeah, that's super. Well, here's a little bit about our guest, uh, about Sean Chung. Uh, he's an Art Center College of Design graduate of um, Art Center in Pasadena. Um, he's part uh, cut his teeth. He cut his teeth in the special venue team with Rhythm and Hughes. And then now he's at Mizzaker Entertainment as a project director, um, really um, creating a lot of uh, fascinating things that, uh, like you said, the software of the hardware um, making entertainment a, a bright and exciting part of a theme park visit. Um, I mean, you get, these are a few of the things I wrote down for you, a few of the things that he's worked on. You yeah, want to I mean, uh, check stuff. them out? I mean, uh, you know, the 3D giant screen attraction. We're working on a dome theater uh, that's under construction in San Diego right now. I mean, that just, again, creating those new uh, formats is, yeah. is so fun. Uh, Chimlong scare dice, uh, you know, creating <laughs> Halloween exam, you know, events and to, to be able to accentuate the physical environment that's there and to do this, uh, introduce this whole seasonal celebration into different cultures is so fascinating and fun. Uh, the journey of lights parade again, um, a, a spiritual, uh, descendant of the, the main street electrical <laughs> parade right. at, uh, one of China's favorite parks at, at Chimlong, uh, ocean kingdom, uh, just a beautiful, new park. Uh, and again, uh, the new daytime parade at Genting Highlands. So it's, uh, he's been pretty busy yeah. uh, over there in Asia. Busy guy. Well, it's about time we push off of the dock. Uh, we're off to Mizzaker Entertainment in Television City, Burbank, California for our interview with Sean Chung. Sean Chung, it's very exciting to be here in beautiful downtown Burbank, California, visiting you at Mizzaker Entertainment. Thanks for having us. Thanks for stopping by, Freddie. Mel? Well, likewise, I, I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Uh, you know, Ron's been a, a guru and a legend. Um, I'm just excited because this is actually our first episode. I just realized uh, to talk about specifically the entertainment. And, uh, you know, we're in show business. Uh, you know, one of the things... Uh, you know, you learn uh, on day one of Disney University, you know, when they OD on the pixie dust, is the, you know, the, the language uh, yep. that, it, that it's show language we're putting on the show where cast members right. are on stage, off stage. Uh, and a lot of times uh, we're using that somewhat metaphorically. But uh, in your case, this is the real deal. Uh, live entertainment and uh, using the the gift of technology to, to immerse and engage the senses. I'm, I'm just so thrilled to dig into what you guys are doing around the world. Yeah, I'm really glad you guys uh, you guys stopped by. I think there's a lot we can talk about today, and I hope I can answer at least some of your questions. Yeah. I'm just glad to catch you while you're stateside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, you know, it's about 50-50 at this point, but I, I do like being based out of L.A. still. I think there's just still a natural kind of creative atmosphere in L.A. Yeah. that is very conducive. You know, it's nice to be comfortable and at home when you're coming up with these ideas because when you're on site, when you're over there, you're so focused on the, the specific task 
there's that thing you've got to get done and everything's being poured into that. It's hard to kind of free your mind and come up with new ideas and things like that. Yeah. Well, I got to uh, give the listeners a, a clue in ter- terms of the setting. I mean, it's this wonderful kind of classic LA courtyard yeah. uh, office complex that uh, you guys own and right in the shadow of DreamWorks Animation and uh, Disney uh, Studios and Warner Brothers. Yeah. Uh, I think the shadow of the Warner Brothers building is kind of probably casting, (laughs) (laughs) hiding our light here, but uh, it's just, you know, right in the midst of that uh, kind of cultural creative hub that is. It really is a Hollywood bungalow type of feel here. It's really classic. Yeah. It's an interesting thing what Ron did with with these buildings, because these were originally kind of that courtyard style apartments Mm -hmm. and basically took all the space and converted every inch of it to offices. You know, there's no more garages. There's no more anything like that. Everything now is just a big office space. And we somehow ended up right on, you know, Riverside next to Priscilla's and everything like that. Yeah, it's a great setting. I used to work at Crossroads of the World. It kind of totally yeah. reminds me of my old office <laughs> That's there. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On Sunset. So uh, give us a little bit of background. Um, you, you're also not just unique in that working with entertainment for theme parks, but uh, unique. In, we've, we've, we've met with a lot of people with 30 plus years of uh, experience in the themed entertainment industry. And you're coming in with about 10 years or so. Oh, right, yeah. So we got we got the um, young buck uh, here with uh, a lot of experience, but you come from a specific background, which makes very unique, I think, to uh, what you're able to accomplish in the theme parks around the world. Tell us your story. Where you, did you come from? How'd you get here? Uh, and uh, where are you going next? <laughs> well, I, I guess the... In thinking about this this morning in the shower, <laughs> the the one thing that kept coming to mind was China, mm. and not not just the the place. You know, obviously it's a physical country, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a cultural heritage and there's a history there that I only realized in the shower this morning has kind of drawn a through line to my career. Mm-hmm. So if at any point I, I start to ramble, please just like whack me <laughs> yeah. on, the, on the back of the head here. But I wanted to talk a little bit about my mom. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If that's Good. weird or not. No, I, I don't not. know. I don't know how these podcast things go, but that's, for me, it's an interesting starting point yeah. because my parents are both from Hong Kong, right? And Hong Kong is a special administrative region. In 1997, it was handed back over to the Chinese. But for over 100 years, it was a British colony. So my mom grew up in Hong Kong, which means she's kind of Chinese, kind of American. She's actually a half as well. Her uh, dad was a British sailor of some sort. So I'm either a quarter Scottish or Irish or British. We're not really sure. Um, Same here. (laughs) I'm not sure. uh, Yeah, definitely have no idea. But... What was interesting was when my mom was growing up, one of her first jobs was a tour guide in China and not the sense of, uh, you know, the tour guides you see nowadays with the the flags and everything is preset and all that. It's more like you couldn't really get into China without a tour guide, tour guide. This was like, you know, 60s and 70s where if you didn't have the authorized tour guide going with you on this trip you weren't really allowed to wander and walk around the country. You're not going. If you're not, if you're not with the correct people, you're not going in. Exactly. So you got to imagine that you, you go back one generation, that's my mom, and then you come to where we are now, which is like, hey, 
here's an internationally recognized award for a nighttime parade in a theme park <laughs> in China that's visited by millions of people each year. And you're like, what happened between, happen? <laughs> between A and B, yeah, right? Yeah. And the thing that makes it interesting to me is that China doesn't have the history of theme parks mm. that America or even Europe has. I mean, Disney Paris has been around longer than most of the other theme parks in China. Yeah, that's right. Right? And to me, that's kind of my story as well. It's a story of not growing up in the theme park world, but somehow finding myself in the midst of this whirlpool of theme park activity that that's now Asia. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Asia, it really is, um, the new frontier and, um, for theme parks and, and, uh, you've, you've seen it explode in a lifetime. It's, it's unprecedented, the growth. Um, and Mel, Mel was just asking me, you know, how I, how I got started in the theme park, theme park part of it. Um, that also goes back to a weird connection with my parents. My parents were, um, like commercial and, uh, production like photographers and videographers and things like that in LA in like the eighties and nineties. So I have, um, you guys know what positives are? They're, uh, oh, yeah. you know, the gel print positives. Oh, yeah. Sure. So like I have in storage somewhere, I have like gel print positives <laughs> of like Robert Downey Jr. When he right. was like 18 <laughs> and doing his first auditions, oh, like Angelina Jolie. Yeah. Wow. So like that was the kind of stuff my parents were doing. And at some point after I'd graduated college and everything, um, my mom was like, hey, you should talk to uh, a guy I know named Paul Babb. Because I had just finished Art Center. I was really, you know, over the whole college experience because I said, okay, why am I paying money to do this? I need to go out into the world. This is, this is really, I was getting anxiety from being in school. <laughs> so I got out of there and she said, you got to meet this guy, Paul Babb. Paul Babb is the head of the commercials department in Rhythm and Hughes. And I get there and I say, hey, Paul, how you doing? We talk, we chat. And Paul goes, there's someone you should really meet. It's Don McBain. Do you guys know Don McBain? Sure. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, uh, uh, I just, uh, he, we just had him write an article for Themed yep. Attraction. Yeah, that's yep. great. So Don was at RNH as well. And Don was downstairs, and Paul says, You got to talk. You got to talk to Don. He's doing this thing. I don't really know what it, and Paul didn't really know what it was because Paul's commercials, commercials, commercials. I mean, that's just, that's where the money making machine was at RNH, you know? You, yeah, Rhythm and Hughes. Sorry, Rhythm and Hughes. Yeah, because the thing is with uh, with visual effects companies, you, you lose money on the big projects, mm-hmm, actually. Like mm-hmm. you get the prestige yeah, by right. doing the Oscar winning Life of Pi, Golden right. Compass, things like that. But the money comes in from ancillary things like commercials and, sure. and special venue. Mm. So Paul's like, you got to meet Don. He's talking to these people about special venue. And I go, okay, I have no idea what that what is. That like, is. I came in to talk to you about commercials, maybe do a few music videos. Like, I have no idea what the special venue thing is. And he's like, okay, you got to meet Don. We're walking down to Don's uh, office and Don is standing up and he's walking away. And Paul's like, Don, 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 hold up. You got you to gotta meet this guy, Sean. And I was like, okay, let's go meet Don. And Don's like, I really have to go. I'm meeting this person from China right now. And he's like, if you want to come, you can come with me. Oh, that's so nice. Paul's like, oh, okay, uh, why don't you go with Don? I'm busy. I'm like, ah, Paul. <laughs> and so I follow Don. I get in an elevator. And into the elevator also comes Sandy Yao. Do you, do you know the Yao's 5D, Jill Wu and all? Okay. I don't. Yao's 5D and Jill Wu, they do a lot of also special venue. They're based out of Taiwan, but they do 
a huge amount of special venue work, pavilion work, and things like that, also out of uh, Taiwan and Asia. So Sandy Yaus is in there, and Don is like, Sean, Sandy, Sandy, Sean. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I just casually speak to Sandy in my kind of broken but passable Chinese. Like, yeah, yeah. ni hao, ni shi tai, ni zhen, ni shi And, you know, where'd you come from? Blah, blah, blah. What yeah. are you doing here? And Don's like, oh, you speak Chinese. And I'm like, sure. <laughs> sure. Like yeah. I speak Spanish. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm like, sure, I, I speak Chinese. And he's like, actually, perfect. Come with us into this meeting. Next room I'm into, I'm in a room with Don, Sandy, and Charlotte Huggins yeah. over here. Because Charlotte was at Rhythm and Hughes restarting this special venue department. And Charlotte says, tell me your story in 30 seconds. And I go, okay, well, I was born in Hong Kong. I was born in LA. I grew up in Hong Kong. I went to an international school, so I speak perfect English and I know American culture better than I know Hong Kong culture. I went to Art Center College of Design and I got super anxious waiting around. So I rushed all my credits, I graduated, and then I came to meet Paul Babb and now I'm here in your office. <laughs> and That's she cool. said, Great Hollywood under story. 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, and that was it. So after that, we started working on the Wanda Project. And that's how it all, that's how it all began. Uh, Ryan, Charlotte, and I did the Wanda project. You know, those guys loved it. It's unfortunate what happened with Wanda. A lot of it was mm -hmm. just poor kind of like big picture planning. You know, yeah. it wasn't the, the individual attractions or even the, the venue that was like, oh, this doesn't work. Or like, cause they, there was great designers working on it. That wasn't the issue. It was just Wanda didn't have the ability to go, okay, we need to get, people into this thing continuously in order to keep it alive. Right. That wasn't their mindset. Their mindset was more like, oh, if we build it, they're just... Let's, yeah, let's develop. Let's develop. <laughs> let's develop. Let's keep building. Let's keep building. Let's keep building. So Wanda happened and then R&H kind of went away. Should I uh, shift no, a little bit? So R&H kind of went away and that's when Ryan and Charlotte and I sat down and said, you know what? maybe there is something between the three of us that we can do moving back into the heart of what Mizzigar Entertainment was, what, what Ron started all those years ago with, you know, the nighttime parade with his work at Fantasmic when he was the, um, the live entertainment director at Disney. Like maybe there's, there's some, something there that, us. Which, which, just a historical footnote. I yeah. was at Disney in yeah. uh, '93 when uh, when that opened, and again, that was a kind of a fairly revolutionary game changer. I mean, Main Street Electrical Parade certainly was a uh, high water mark, but in terms of um, kind of a the investment in a, essentially a live entertainment thing that had the returns on investment that a that well, an e-ticket attraction right? again, yeah, yeah right. it's still They're going after all these years. Uh, but again, the attendance bump, the revenue bump. I mean, it was a it was a really significant eye opener. Um, you know, a lot of folks at Imagineering weren't exactly, uh, you know, maybe jealous yeah, <laughs> is the nicest right. way to put it because I mean, there was definitely a rise in influence and, and political power. I mean, just the potential of what, again, uh, putting on a, an actual show <laughs> can yeah. do what, what, who knew, you know, yeah. that Barnum was right. <laughs> and it, it's one of the, going back to China, it's, it's been one of the hardest things to, explain to a client, you know, the importance of live entertainment, because on paper, it's really not as sexy. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't have that appeal of like, oh, you're going to have the newest and the best. Uh, this coaster, it's just going to go faster than yeah. any coaster. And this this 200 tall, exactly. you know, iconic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, this screen, it's going to have more D's than any. We're going to go <laughs> 60. We're going to go 70. You know, we're going to spray you with like scents. And it's like, well, yeah, you can, you can keep adding these, you know, adjectives and it's great, but there's something magical about live entertainment that I think, mm-hmm. you know, I hope we've, captured in some way and, you know, and journey of lights and our work going forward as well. Yeah. I, um, you know, that I remember when I worked at a park and sat along the parade route and, you know, was directing, uh, where people could sit and crossovers in the parade route. And there was some connection that could happen between the live performers that just can't happen from like even Fantasmic, like Fantasmic, you have to have that boat come around and have the princesses wave at the audience for it to have a connection. Otherwise it's just cartoons. Yep. And, and there's something about that live entertainment and that connection one-on-one face to face with the audience that uh, is really special. Yep. I mean, it's weird, but it's, it's why things like jungle cruise are such a special attraction, you know, because of your, your tour guide, that's smarmy and sarcastic. Like you could spend billions developing a little animatronic tour guide in an attempt to recreate please what don't, exactly don't. Yeah. an or, attempt yeah, to recreate what an actual not, person can the, do yeah, yeah that's right but you know that being said technology is critical to, to to all of this right because there are things that we can do that push it above and beyond that accentuate the humanity i mean that's that's the best technology right you're accentuating the humanity you're not just replacing it because no humanity yeah but taking that humanity that you've got taking that spark and just yeah i'm making hand motions (laughs) we can see we can feel it how do you tell a story when people listen with more than their ears stories change lives they make us remember but only when they're felt and not just heard Storyland Studios builds the impossible. We turn big ideas into reality. We tell stories in three dimensions to stir the senses so you can walk into places you've only seen in your dreams, in real life and real time. Storyland's artists, architects, and artisans take stories out of the imagination and build tangible dreams that leave lasting impressions and memories that endure for years. What's your story? Storyland Studios is themed entertainment, destination design, production, and fabrication. Connect with the team at Storyland Studios to get started building your impossible dream today. Visit StorylandStudios.com or call now, 800-218-1932. That's 800-218-1932. Storyland Studios, your big idea's best ally. Uh, tell me about um, uh, the the Long, um Journey of Lights Parade and how that came about. I I, I kind of see that. And, um, and again, for some of uh, our American yeah, oh that's that good. Don't that's know, why. <laughs> don't know Chimelong. I've had a sure, chance sure. to uh, experience the parks and um, and and I think a lot of people may not understand the critical mass that is there, yeah. uh, even yeah. if they've heard of Shanghai Disneyland or. Um, you know, some of the other parks over there, but 
Chime along is kind of a big deal. <laughs> I, I mean, to, to put it in terms of numbers, yeah. Chime Long's water park actually, I think, has the highest attendance. Or in 2018, I'm not sure about the 2019 uh, ACOM index, but it had the highest numbers in terms of water park attendance across the world. And that's uh, a water me, park. Yeah, it's a water park. Yeah. Yeah. It's just in terms of the physical mass of yeah. people that are moving around in China, its market is huge. Yeah. And Chime Long has captured that market. Perfectly. And for those who are uh, unaware of, I guess, the geography, it's nowhere near um, Disney. It's nowhere near Shanghai or Beijing for Universal. We're talking about southern China. This is right next door to Hong Kong and Ocean Park. And all this stuff is within a, uh, you know, two or three hours of what is southern China, the Guangdong province, right? That's that's where Chimelong has really, really made its made its mark. It's expanding, of course, and it's it's fighting for territory. But yeah, but it, it you know it, if going back to the beginning of your story and saying there was there were tour guides letting anybody yep. walk through you know that was the only way you were going to see yep. China and now there's a massive tourist uh, industry which Chimelong has capitalized on in a great many ways. Absolutely, I mean there's now the world's longest bridge connects Zhuhai and Hong Kong. So Hong Kong you have as one of the probably largest hub cities in the world, if not the largest, depending on how you want to measure it. They spent an insurmountable amount of money building a bridge that spans, I think it's like 30 miles, unless I'm wrong. It's like a 30 mile bridge so that you can get now from Hong Kong to Zhuhai, where Ocean Kingdom is, within like 45 minutes. Just to get an idea of how complex this bridge is, remember how I said Hong Kong was a British colony? Yeah. So they drive on the other side of the road. And in China, <laughs> they drive like in the U.S. side of the road. So in the center of this bridge, <laughs> yeah, there's a transition zone in the center of this bridge oh, where no. you actually switch the side of the road you're driving on. And then when you get on the other side, you are now on the wrong side of the road. Yeah. And you have to remind yourself, I'm driving on the wrong side of the road, oh, but trip. it is the correct side <laughs> of the road. That's how much you know effort they'll go through in order to create this kind of atmosphere and this ecosystem where it's just, you know, guest friendly. Yeah, yeah, Come yeah. in, make it easy, have a good time. East and West exactly. meets uh, perfectly right there on that bridge, I suppose. Exactly. exactly. So um, I I was there when you received the Thea Award uh, 2018. You you and uh, Mizker on the, uh, or Chime Long won the, the award, but yeah. you were there to speak about it, about the journey of Lights Parade. And I kind of, you know, as a young guy, I, I look at you and go, okay, man, this guy has like sort of hit a pinnacle with that, that sort of thing. Like that's a, that's a measuring stick, you know, this is, right. this is progress for, for you and your career. Talk to us about a little bit about what that is. Tell, tell us a little bit about it and why it was so revolutionary to yeah. uh, parades, live entertainment, that sort of thing. I mean, the thing that I remember thinking to myself every day at the end of the day when I would go back to the hotel room, scratching my arms because the fiberglass had somehow gotten in somehow. Every, no matter what you do to try to avoid it, you always get fiberglass on yourself at the end of every day on site. I remember thinking to myself every day, I wonder if this is what like the Wild West felt like. You know, I'm not gunslinging or anything, but it was a situation where 
everything was new. There weren't really like rules, rules the same way that, you know, if we were working stateside or even in Europe, they were the same rules as you have to do it this way. You have to do the, You have to do this way. It was just about going out there every day and figuring out the best way to make it work with whatever resources you have. I, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think Brian Gale probably said it one of the best ways, which is like, this is the best parade that has no right to be as good as it is. <laughs> like, it is incredible what happened there. And the innovations that we, you know, came up with, they look like innovations now. At the time, they were just problem solving. Yeah, it sounds like patching together, you know, just w- one more thing to make this thing work. Exactly. And then- well, it reminds me, you know, Tony Baxter, Tom Morris, we've had on, you yeah. know, almost reminiscing about the, the olden days of, you know, the, the, the Wild West of the creation of the industry, you know, with, you know, guys like Mark Davis, just, you know, just figuring it out. Bob Gurr, just, you know, yep. can do and. Um, it goes back to like the electrical water pageant, you know, like yep. Marge's chicken wire, Christmas yeah. lights, exactly. and re- still running. Yeah, Ron was, Ron was telling us this story. He was like, you know, there was, uh, it was opening day. We were like, you know, eight hours away from when the electrical parade was meant to roll down the street. And he goes, I remember I was still on that float clipping off zip ties yeah. to make sure that yeah. the, every single light looked good. And I was sitting there going, I was doing that. Yeah. We were still doing that. Like, fast forward 20, 30 years, like, we're still using zip ties. Like, a lot of the other technology has advanced, but I was sitting on that float clipping off zip ties, like, hours before this thing was meant to roll down the street. Because sometimes things don't change and sometimes things do change. But there was this magic sense of, like, hey, let's just make it work. And that's how, um, okay, so the Journey of Lights is special because it has this thing called the parade-wide event, right? Mm -hmm. We we call it the PWE. And basically what happens is the entire parade, I'm talking every light on every float, but also every costume, every cart, immediately at the same exact moment, glitters. Like this beautiful shimmering white light just moves through the whole parade. It doesn't last more than 10 seconds or mm-hmm. so, 15 seconds. And to be honest, you have to like to really, if you want to see the whole thing, there's only specific places in the park where you can see the whole parade. For the yeah. most part, you're seeing only two or three floats do it. But when you see the whole thing, you're like, holy crap, yeah. that's magical. And that specific effect was something that... Uh, Many people said, like, you, you, can't, you can't do it. Yeah. That just, it just doesn't work because that's not how electrical parades are made. And a little bit of backstory, how are electrical parades made in terms of lights? Well, you don't just arbitrarily string Christmas lights up onto, you know, a piece of scenic. Like that, you know, you it's just, <laughs> yeah, you used to. But what you have to do in, a, for example, even going back to mainstream electrical parade, you have to choose a specific type of light yep. and a specific color for that light, and you have to string it up along a specific thing. E- easy example. Um, 
Pete's dragon is is green, right? Yeah. So the majority of the lights on Pete's dragon are green. You're going to buy a bunch of green Christmas lights, <laughs> not just any Christmas lights, yeah, but green, green Christmas ones. lights. And you're going to string a bunch of green Christmas lights on, uh, on Pete's dragon, right? Okay, that's simple. But then you get to what about something that isn't just one color? And what if we want it to change colors? Well, back in the day to, to do that, you would actually have to just string up two rows of lights next to each other. So if you wanted Pete's dragon, uh, say you wanted the whole dragon to turn red yeah. at one moment, you would need to string up the whole thing with green lights and do the whole thing again with red lights, yeah. right? And you'd have to go through somewhere between months to years, figuring out exactly how many lights where to place these lights, how to attach these lights, and then figuring out exactly what color you want in each of these lights. That's just how you did it. If you wanted a shimmer to move through the pumpkin, like you would need these tiny white lights that are on a completely different track than anything else, right? Than the, than the lines of the pumpkin, than the lines of the carriage. You would need just these white lights going around kind of almost arbitrarily to create the shimmer. Well, Chaimong didn't give us years. Yeah. <laughs> Chaimong gave us months. Yeah. So we went to the manufacturers around the area even, not even around China, just around the area. And we said, what is the best, most reliable LED product that you have? Just, just what is it? Like, we want to know what you guys are making. Like, literally what's coming off the factory shelf that you can just hand us first. And they're like, well, actually, we have this thing. It's RGB, so it's red, green, blue. You can so with that you can create any and color you want. They're like, we have these RGB LEDs that we make. They are um, not you know cheaper than single unit lights. You know nothing will be cheaper. But we sat there and we did the math and we went, oh, if we don't have to sit around and decide what every light is beforehand. Yeah, right. If we can just string the RGB lights up and then program it as if the whole thing was kind of like a 3D mapped set or a scene or a stage, then really we could just buy boatloads yeah. of this stuff and just start stringing it up. Yep. Start stringing it up. Create the shapes, do everything, but not have to worry about when they turn on or off or what color they have to be, just start putting lights on there. Halfway through doing this is when we realized like, oh, if we have a way to synchronize and control all these RGB lights, then we can do the thing that everyone said we couldn't do. Couldn't do, right. Right. You're and giving yourself control by just... Uh, Sort of going with going with what you got. Just the, exactly. The, just, just start painting. It's almost, exactly uh, you know you've got a blank piece of paper. Start painting. You're giving yourself that opportunity to do exactly. That. So we started painting, and you know, lo and behold, it actually worked. And it was a it was it all goes back to China. Yeah, these LEDs could not have been purchased anywhere else for the price and the speed we got them at. Yeah. If we were in any other country in the world, we could not have gotten those LEDs made quick enough and they would not have been the price point to make that feasible. We would have had to say, you know what? Sorry, guys. Yeah. Give us two years. We're going to sit down. We're going to develop this. You're going to have your parade three years from now. 
instead, a year later, Journey of Lights is rolling down the road because we just started painting. Yeah. And we figured, uh, just so we're clear, the the headaches that you know that caused afterwards, the ripple effects were huge. For just for example, right now the two world's largest lighting controllers, to my knowledge are sitting in the Zuhai barn in HOK right now. <laughs> they are two custom-made ETC consoles that were unlocked so that they are pushed beyond any other lighting consoles that they've done before just because that's just not how it's usually done. You yeah. don't have that level of control. It's essentially taking like, you know, a 4K TV screen and trying to control every pixel. Yeah that's pretty much what we were doing yeah. and lighting consoles weren't designed like that. So if you look at, um, but on three dimensional images, on three, three dimensional <laughs> images that you have to move around in time to the music. Yeah. yeah. If you look at, um, the, the parrot plane, right. I don't know if you guys have seen journey of Life recently, but it's the one where there's a big, uh, there's a big parrot from the 5d movie. Mm -hmm. And then there's a, a tree that he's sit, kind of sitting on. And then, uh, I think Kiki is on top of the parrot it's a very simple but beautiful float. That float required taking the world's two biggest consoles and smushing them together so that we could program it. That's so crazy. that single Good. tree has more lighting control than the most advanced show out there in yeah, the world. That's that's outrageous. That's incredible. Yeah. I, I want to just kind of bounce back to um, what I'm pulling out of this. And the, there's this amazing heritage that the two largest... Uh, lighting consoles in in the world are smashed together, and for that one float, or yeah. to, to, for the capabilities yeah. of that one float. And Ron Misker was telling me once that um, when they were putting together the Main Street Electrical Parade, um, people were allowed to Disneyland workers were able to get off of work and um, volunteer to dip the white lights in red or green right up to the very last minute, and that that's the type of um, heritage that the project that you did for Chime Long has. And there's, so there's a genetic sort of flow from, um, hand dipping, <laughs> hand dipping yep. Christmas lights to getting to such a advanced thing. And I think that's a, that's really fascinating. Um, also there's sound. So talk a little bit about how sound flows through that sort of process. I mean, uh, individually controlled speakers throughout the park. Yep. And, and yep. Yep. So sound in a parade, it's like our script, mm -hmm. right? It's really what the entire show is is built around. You know, line, more in some ways more accurate than a script. Actors are allowed to change and flub lines and things like that and improvise. With that soundtrack, once you have it locked, every moment of the show is built around that. Mm -hmm. So the importance of sound in a parade, I mean... Ryan has often said to me, like, yeah, parades start with the soundtrack. They, they actually don't start with the design of, you know, this particular float or this character or this moment or this special effect. No, parades start with the soundtrack because that's where the heart and soul of that show is. I mean, you know, the old tune, people don't go home from Disney whistling the color of the wallpaper, right? That's they, right. Right? <laughs> whistling the architecture. Whistling yeah. the architecture, yeah. yeah. So it's the same thing. Like that soundtrack 
is so important to us. And we've had a, you know, we've had the great if opportunity. If anyone's ever had a chance to uh, sneak into a abandoned theme park or, you know, yeah. just even walk around a closed theme park, without it's, you've got that Scooby-Doo, yeah. heebie-jeebie, yeah. it's creepy. Without the soundtrack <laughs> without to, the sounds. to guide your emotional through. Exactly. Know, through, it's through completely it different. Oh, that's great. And, uh, and honestly, soundtracks are complicated in a, in a parade because what you have to do is you have to create this underliner, which is the theme for the entire parade. And then that underliner needs to play fluidly across all eight units, right? All eight floats, and the floats are kind of the center of these units. And then each float needs its own soundtrack. So all of that needs to stay in perfect sync mm-hmm. in order for it to work. Otherwise, you're just going to have like this disconnected. Each of these scenes is going to feel disconnected, and that's not what you want. You want it to feel like this holistic experience where each float is its own show. It's its own scene. It's its own moving stage, but it's still part of this greater parade. So, yeah, it it was... um, it required HOK to redo their entire sound system, actually, by the yeah. time they, they got it up and running. Yeah. You know, one of the things that uh, I'm impressed with is uh, a, a topic we touched on with some of the Evermore guys is, again, getting entertainment out of just the box. Of, yeah. uh, you know, it used to be when you went to Disneyland, you got two pieces of paper, of yeah. print collateral. You got the, the guide map that had all the permanent attractions and ride shows, but then they would give you a, I don't know, Disneyland Entertainment Today yeah. uh, kind of insert that had all the live entertainer. And it was great because you yeah. could find the Royal Street Bachelors and what time they were going on or the, the barbershop quartet. But in your world, I think one of the interesting things is the idea of uh, you guys zooming out and getting a little increasingly holistic. Um, and again, same thing with the Evermore guys. They, they really are able to reinvent that park uh, based on the seasons. Can you talk a little bit about uh, some of your work with uh, Chime Long Paradise and, and taking kind of a, I guess, a, not mundane, but a kind of a SO, standard operating sure. procedure uh, fall Halloween event yeah. and, and elevating that? Absolutely. You know, uh, it, it all comes back to the reason we do what we do is because we like to tell stories, you know, and that's, it doesn't matter if you're going back to Rhythm and Hughes, when Charlotte, you know, asked me, tell me your story in 30 seconds. Like that's just the kind of people we are. We want to know stories. We want to know the characters. We want to know the worlds. We want to know why this place exists. We don't just want to have a good time. So Chimelong had and still has a very, very successful Halloween event um, each year that is just packed to an unbelievable... it's it's a little bit terrifying how packed it is, but <laughs> people don't understand how many uh, how many people there are in the Pearl River Delta. Yeah. I mean, it's a it massive is. humanity. Um, and their event was based around a series of haunted houses, you know, temporary constructions that would allow people to walk through mazes and things like that, and just boo, people jump out, they scare yeah. you, they terrify you. Everyone dresses up. It's a lot of fun. It's a huge party, but. What we went in and did was we said, you know what would be also good is if we started to build on the stories you have in these haunted houses and we started to drag them out into the park itself. We started to expand what the narrative is and we could take areas that you would look at and go, oh, this is just, you know, it's just a courtyard between A to B. We look at an area like that and we're like, 
that's a story opportunity. Yeah. That's a place where you can tell an interesting tale about something. Like we took the space that was just in between two haunted houses and attraction. And we said, this is now called Scarecrow Alley. Yeah. You know what we're going to do? We're going to build a, a little miniature barn facade. We're going to put bales of hay up everywhere. We're going to have scarecrows that are hanging all over the place. And you know what? We're still going to make it scary because you know what? Some of those scarecrows, real people, yeah. still walkers. <laughs> so you have these mixtures of scarecrows and this facade. And then you go in and you just do this beautiful, simple lighting. And all of a sudden, this thing that is meant to just be, oh, I have to get from A to B, yeah, right. suddenly people are stopping, taking pictures. It's become a thing, and yeah. it wasn't meant to be. I mean, there's a beauty to that, where you're just taking a space that was meant to be empty, corridor, walkway, and suddenly, wow, yeah. it's an event. It's, it's a feature. Between the buildings is exactly. a canvas. Exactly, the space in between the buildings, yeah. So that's a, that's a lot of what... That's a lot of what we're actually focusing on on right now. Yeah. We're, we're looking at parks more holistically and we're trying to think, you know what? Live entertainment, there's power there. There's impact. And the truth is a lot of parks already have established attractions and things mm -hmm. like that. They know what they're doing. They go, here's the box. Here's what we're putting in the box. This is the box. Leave the box alone. And we're going... Cool. You have your box. Your box is cool. What we're interested in is just the space in between. Like, how do you give life? You know, it's probably super similar to the Evermore guys. It's like, how do you give this feeling of continuous life, continuous immersion? Right. So the guest is always inside this experience. How do you do that? And for us, the answer is leaning towards, you know, live entertainment. Yeah. Real people make real worlds. Yeah. You know, in just about every park that we're working on, uh, that idea that it's not just about uh, kind of the e-ticket marathon, mm -hmm. you know, e running and marathon. trying to yeah. you know, hit, hit, hit bingo, you ones. know, with the yeah, yeah, six yeah. major, right? Because that's really how it used to be programmed. You had your yep. kind of anchors and then the yep, fillers, absolutely. but it was all about the how many attractions you can get in per hour, per yep. month, you know, per day. Um, and what we're finding is the opportunity to think of the whole thing again as a as one big story canvas yeah. uh, and uh, stay immersed in that reality. And again, to use entertainment, to use landscaping, to use food and beverage and, you know, these cultural touch points that, uh, you know, are engaging all five mm -hmm. senses uh, and, and really keeping that emotional narrative going is really a powerful thing. So it's not just stop, start, stop, start, you know, yeah. 20 minute cue and then a 20, you know, a two minute payoff, uh, you know. You know, when it's, you're talking about F&B and it's like, yes, we have a, you know, 16D attraction that shoots the smell of popcorn, but we go, <laughs> yes, yes, but I can actually make popcorn right. and I can just sell you that popcorn. I don't need to shoot the scent at you. You do it right and people queue up 20 minutes for that, yeah, for that popcorn, popcorn in Tokyo yeah. Disneyland. Right? Charlotte and I always say our favorite attraction at Disneyland is the corn dog stand. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people's favorite attraction. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Something that you can eat on the top of a trash can, you know, standing and eating. And exactly. That is one go. of my things. You know, I enjoy, you know, going around the world and seeing the uniqueness of some of those, uh, again, culturally specific uh, food and beverage as yep. well as entertainment offerings. But, you know, again, all the flavored popcorn at Tokyo Disneyland, the, yeah. the waffles at Efteling, yeah. I mean, you, you name it. I mean, I, I've only been on like 
two or three attractions at Epcot. Most of the time I just yeah. spend You're going around, around jerking around the world <laughs> yeah. and grabbing food from each of the places. I like, was just reading an article about that. Um, you know, when, when you really think about Epcot and, and how food became a, um, a feature, it had to happen. It happened because of World Showcase. Yep. You know, everything was corn dogs and hamburgers, um, millions and millions of hamburgers sold at Walt Disney World. And they had they raised the game by opening up um, World Showcase because, wait, 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 these places have to taste like these places. And suddenly that became now Adventureland has to taste like Adventureland. Tomorrowland has to um, ever, you know, <laughs> it, it better taste like boysenberry if it's at Knott's yep. Berry Farm. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, that's a, it's such a great thing to even move into the, the sense of taste as part of the theming and storytelling. That's a sidebar. So you talked about <laughs> you talked <laughs> about I'm hungry. It's yeah. 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 Lunch. That's why you guys started talking about this food. is a food podcast, yeah, right? Yeah, we, all, we were just setting up for. <laughs> that's right. um, so I, I want to give you a chance to kind of round out the story. So we, we started in we started in China with yeah. your mom doing tour, tour guide yeah. tour guiding in China. And we come to now when the. Um, the tourism industry is on fire there and they're building for it and they're prepping for it. Um, you're moving into a future where that it, it seems that that's going to be where you're going to spend a whole lot of your time and your energy and your effort. So, uh, tell me about that. Tell me about where you're going and what your hopes are for the region. Even, um, my hopes are that what has happened with, Journey of Lights, which is that ability to tackle an obstacle and turn it into a success and, you know, something award-winning, I want to see that repeated. I want to see young minds that go into China and say, we're not being held to the same rules. Like, yes, we can learn from the Disney's and the universals of the world. Yes, they have shown us that this is one of the best ways to do it. But I want young minds to be able to go, okay, but why not also this way? Or why can't we do it this way? It's, it's those kinds of developments that I really want to see in China. I would love to see big picture shifts, mm -hmm. not, not specific technological advances or, you know, I'm going to, I don't, I don't want to sit here and say, I want to see live entertainment become the best <laughs> thing ever in China and everyone's going to love live. No, I want to see people take advantage of the fact that China is new territory, mm -hmm. that it is new to the theme park world. And as such, we get to rewrite the rules mm. and do things differently. And yeah, sometimes you're going to fail. Yeah. Sometimes you're going to fail. But when you don't, I think the, the rewards are absolutely worth it. Because what we're doing is we're recapturing that magic that was originally there when... Ron was at Disney, when, you know, the park first opened, you know, that, that giddiness when... Walt Disney wasn't a theme park guy before he was a theme park guy, yeah. right? That's what we want to capture. We yeah. want those new ideas and we, I want to see, I want to see something I don't expect. Yeah. That's what's going to blow my mind. Oh, that's fantastic. Blowing up the box. Blowing up the, the box. Bar. 
Well, Sean, it's been a real pleasure. We're really glad to have spent some time with you. I hope you can show us around this uh, place a little bit and give us yeah, some absolutely. background because uh, it's a really uh, creativity inspiring place. And we just, we're just grateful for the opportunity to sit down and hear your story and hear about where it's going because uh, it's an exciting new frontier, isn't it? Thank you so much, guys. You guys are awesome. It was so great <laughs> talking to you guys. It was so much fun. Thank you so much, Sean. We'll talk to you soon. Well, Sean, such a great uh, um, spark of energy and inspiration. And, uh, you know, I personally just loved his personal story, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, his mom and the, the cultural roots and how that has just been, a, again, part of his uh, unique training uh, camp for uh, doing what he do. Yeah, that's right. He's a really fun storyteller and uh, engaging. And uh, a lot of people sort of are drawn to that. He's a, um, I, as as I gotten gotten to know him, he just really sees his role as a collaborative leader, um, creating great things, but uh, pulling out the talents of others. Well, Mel, the river is calling. Uh, it looks like it's time to head for home. Sound fair? better beat that river traffic yeah all right until next time thanks mel the themed attraction podcast is hosted by freddie martin and mel mcgowan we're really grateful you take the time to listen to our show whether it's on your long commute or your long hike to the top of some mountain somewhere because of you we're able to do what we do and honestly we can't thank you enough would you do us one more favor? Would you leave a positive review for us on iTunes Podcast? It's a great way to get the word out about the show, and uh, more and more people will be able to join us and uh, maybe keep this podcast going even a, a little bit longer. We're just so grateful for you and uh, your kind words. We want to thank our guest, Sean Chung. Get in touch with him on LinkedIn or find him at miziker.com. Get access to more stories and interviews at themedattraction.com, an insider's look at theme park design by theme park designers. Follow the action on Instagram and Twitter at themedattraction. Connect with Mel by email via mel at storylandstudios.com or follow him on Twitter at Mel McGowan and Instagram at Visioneer. You can find me at freddymartin.net and follow my adventures at SkipperFreddy on Instagram and Twitter. Our theme music was composed by Rob Watson. Other music provided by The Lost Dogs. This episode was designed and produced by the one and only Dr. Barry Hill. Find him at barryrhill.com. You know, Mel, Barry has been working so hard to make his backyard garden look just like a bamboo forest. He said some of this bamboo has grown over six stories tall. He says he's working on getting it up to seven stories tall, but that's another story. Thanks for listening, folks. 